Welcome to We Contend, where we defend the truth of Christianity. October 24th, 2019. In this week's episode, we consider a defense of the humble embryo. High hopes have been placed in the potential of stem cells, which promise to bring incurable conditions like Alzheimer's, diabetes, and even spinal cord injuries within reach of effective treatment. However, many have raised concerns over the harvesting of embryonic stem cells in which embryos are destroyed. At the center of the debate over embryonic stem cell research is the question of whether it is right to destroy embryos for the purposes of advancing scientific knowledge and medical technology. Christians and non-Christians alike propose similar justifications for the use and destruction of human embryos for scientific research. However, Christians have affirmed for centuries that God created mankind in His image. Therefore, Christians should defend the high value of human life as reflecting the image of God. Although some Christians accept the destruction of embryos for purposes of scientific research, the practice cannot be sustained by a Christian ethic. Human embryos are the proposed or current subjects of a variety of scientific experiments, including therapeutic cloning, germline engineering, stem cell research, and other uses. Justifications offered for these uses of human embryos tend to employ a utilitarian ethic in which potential benefits of research are weighed against the destruction of nascent human life. Therapeutic cloning, which creates an embryo from stills of a patient's own body, can potentially enable manufacture of new organs and tissues to heal disease. In this case, the chief moral concern is the possibility of abuse, which would allow human cloning for reproduction. Germline engineering modifies genetic information in sperm, eggs, or more commonly in embryos to create heritable traits in the resulting embryo and any successive generations of progeny. Germline engineering raises the moral question of whether the medical industry and parents should act in the place of God to create designer babies. In vitro fertilization, IVF, is a common practice for couples that cannot become pregnant naturally. Because IVF procedures produce more embryos than can be implanted in a woman's uterus, Excess embryos are frozen in case the implanted embryos do not result in successful pregnancy. Afterward, unused embryos are destroyed, donated to another infertile couple, 
frozen indefinitely, or used for an experimentation. In addition to the moral questions they raise, excess embryos present significantly complex legal questions. Some have rightly questioned whether IVF-produced embryos should have secondary uses. Embryonic stem cells, hereafter ESCs, are highly sought for research purposes because they are undifferentiated or pluripotent cells. Pluripotent cells can develop into cells of any tissue type. According to many scientists, pluripotent cells may offer the greatest promise for medical treatments. Alternatively, multipotent adult stem cells also offer great promise for diseases thought to be incurable. Although adult stem cells have been successfully used in several treatment scenarios, they are not considered in this essay because their use presents no moral difficulty. Typically, ESCs are procured from excess embryos created in IVF procedures. Because ESCs are found in the embryo's inner cell mass, the embryo is killed when ESCs are extracted. Embryonic stem cell research may have the potential to do much good, but its moral status is questionable. Because ESC research presents the moral dilemma clearly in regard to the use of embryos, we shall use it as the example for the remainder of this talk. Why should Christians be concerned about whether embryos created for IVF are used and subsequently destroyed in ESC research? Some question, Christians be, believe the use and destruction of embryos for research purposes is permissible, but the Bible clearly teaches otherwise. We will examine biblical teaching in four areas, the image of God, the beginning of life at conception, the persistence of personal identity, and the benefit of the doubt in regard to life. The Imago Dei Human life bears the image of God, the Imago Dei, and therefore should be defended. The image of God is a foundational Christian doctrine rooted in the creation account of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, discloses that the image of God is both the pattern and purpose of the creation of mankind, later to be ultimately incarnated in Christ, second Adam, and image of the invisible God. As God's image bearers, human beings possess immeasurable value simply because we are God's special creation and bear his image. As Nancy Piercy remarks, a Christian concept of personhood depends not on what I can do, but on who I am, that I am created in the image of God, and that God has called me into existence and continues to know and love me. God places a high value on his likeness, as evidenced by the penalty for destroying one of his image-bearers, death. As God explained to Noah, Whoever sheds the blood of man, 
by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. All humans are equally valuable to God by virtue of bearing the Imago Dei. All humans are created equal because they all bear God's image, a truth that was self-evident to the founders of the United States. Numerous biblical references enjoin the faithful to express his justice by defending and protecting the weak. God himself warns, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Jeremiah Jeremiah 22.3 Jesus' teachings did not abrogate the Old Testament principle to defend the defenseless. He instead further emphasized the scope and importance of the principle by commanding us to love not only our neighbors, as in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 29-37, but our enemies as well, as in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 44. How, then, can Christians neglect their duty to protect the defenseless in disregard of such a well-supported biblical principle? Some Christians disagree that human beings who begin development in utero from the moment of fertilization are worthy of protection. Hans Kuhn a Christian theologian who subscribes to a form of modern personhood theory, says, A fertilized ovum evidently is human life, but it is not a person, indicating that because the embryo or fetus does not achieve personhood until some time later in its development, there is no moral obligation to protect it from the moment of conception. Kung therefore clearly denies the biblical principles illuminated by the scriptures we just examined, that we derive our value as human beings from the intrinsic value of God's image, and that human life should therefore be defended even from conception. Those who would allow the elimination of human life in its earliest stages argue against the value of that life not against the fact that it it exists. Legal scholar Robert P. George expresses the problem clearly. Quote, The real question is not whether human beings in the embryonic and fetal stages are human beings. Plainly, they are. The question is whether we will honor or abandon our civilizational and national commitment to the equal worth and dignity of all human beings, even the smallest, youngest, weakest, and most vulnerable. End quote. Christians should not be among those who call for the destruction of human life in the womb because it bears God's image and is worthy of protection. We have seen that many, if not most, scholars admit that human life begins at conception. Next, we examine what Scripture says about the relationship of God to that life. 
Life begins at conception, and the human person has fellowship with God from the beginning. Science informs us that life begins at conception. Nancy Piercy notes, The accepted science is that a new individual begins at fertilization. Fertilization is the point at which a nascent human life is individuated from both biological father and mother. Piercy observes that all the individual's intrinsic capacities are present from the moment of conception onward in the continuously and seamlessly developing human life, whether these capacities are ultimately developed or not. Likewise, scripture agrees with science that life begins at conception. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 begins, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you indicating that from the moment of conception, at the beginning of life, God knows and desires fellowship with each one of us. About this verse, ethicist Scott Ray comments, It seems clear that God had a relationship with and an intimate knowledge of Jeremiah in the same way he did when Jeremiah was an adult and engaged in his prophetic ministry. As Christians, we should affirm that God desires intimate fellowship with us, even from the beginning of life. Likewise, Scripture indicates human beings can be known from even the earliest stages. John the Baptist, in his pre-born state, exulted in the incarnation of Jesus, leaping in his mother's womb just a few days after Jesus' conception had been announced to Mary. Luke 1, verse 41. In this scene, Jesus had himself only begun growing in Mary's womb a few days before Mary arrived at Elizabeth's house. John the Baptist, still a fetus developing in Elizabeth's womb, apparently recognized the significance of Jesus' conception when Mary came to visit. To this, Scott Ray adds, Upon arrival at Elizabeth's home, Mary is immediately recognized as the mother of my Lord, Luke 1, verse 43. Therefore, Scripture attests that the unborn can know and be known. Isaiah 49, verse 1, is also worth noting as evidence that God knows us in the deepest possible sense and has plans for the events of our lives. He calls us to his purposes even before we are born. Scott Ray observes, The first line says, literally, From the womb the Lord called me. The person in question was both called and named before birth, indicative of a personal interest that parallels the interest God takes in adults. Therefore, not only does God know us before we are born, but God has a continuity of knowledge over the life of the whole person. There is no break between preborn life and adulthood, as some would suggest is the case while the brain is developing, when God does not know us intimately. Some Christians who reject the legitimacy of both abortion and ESE research nevertheless deny that the developing embryo in the womb is formally human. For example, 
Despite scriptural evidence that the human person can be known even from the point of conception, French Catholic philosopher Jacques Martin says, To admit that the human fetus, from the instant of its conception, receives the intellective soul, while the matter is still in no way disposed with respect to it, is in my view a philosophical absurdity. Apparently, the fact that we cannot observe any matter in the form of a brain as physical medium for a soulish intellect causes Maritain to deny the plain teaching of Scripture that we can know and be known. Remarking that both science and Christianity agree that life begins at conception when ovum and sperm are brought together in fertilization, ethicist John Wyatt says, there is no point from fertilization onwards at which we can reliably conclude that a human being is not a member of the human family, one who is known and called by God. The Christian view thus not only agrees with a common-sense interpretation of the scientific facts, but provides additional justification for the value of human life. Because as we, as we have seen through Scripture, God desires fellowship with us even at the beginning before we are born. Human persons are substances with persistent identities through time and change. The Judeo-Christian scriptures indicate not only that life begins at conception, but that human personal identity is continuous from conception through adulthood. The psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139, verse 16. Scott Ray remarks, Common views of personhood assume a continuity of personal identity, which is consistent with the Bible and taught by Psalm 139. For example, we assume that persons continue to be the same person irrespective of time and change. Unquote. This shows that biblical teaching aligns with the philosophy of personhood called the substance view. Philosophically, substances are ordered, unified, individual essences that are greater than the sum of their parts. As Ray explains, a substance possesses a defining internal principle within its essence that informs its ordered change in behavior. Unquote. Therefore, while humans experience change over time, for example, by learning, growing, and maturing, we continue to maintain a consistent identity. In contrast, some adopt a property based view which does not confer the moral status of personhood until properties such as cognition, intentionality with regard to time, and other characteristics of the embryo, fetus, or child have developed. Philosopher Bonnie Steinbach, who favors the time-relative interest account, TRIA, of human personhood, remarks, quote, the TRIA enables us to explain why sentient fetuses, which have some interests 
specifically in avoiding pain, do not have equal moral status with more developed human beings, and specifically why they do not have a right to life. End quote. Steinbach concludes that the fetus, and retrospectively the embryo, lacks a mental life defined by, quote, psychological unity, end quote, and therefore has no interest in a future life. This view would seem to allow the elimination of embryos and fetuses with impunity. However, a Christian view based on the authority of Scripture cannot affirm Steinbach's rationalization of the destruction of embryos. As we have seen, not only does the Bible affirm that life begins at conception, but also that human personal identity persists from even the earliest beginnings of individual lives. In contrast to Steinbach's contention that psychological unity is lacking in the embryo and fetus, multiple scriptures attest to a unity of being from the time of conception through adulthood. For example, David confesses, quote, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, end quote. Psalm 51, verse 5. Personal identity persists through time, and the biblical evidence shows that every human being is morally culpable in regard to the sin nature that is present from the beginning of life. Ben Mitchell and Joy Riley conclude, quote, David's confession in Psalm 51 verse 5 that he was a sinner from conception offers abundant testimony to his belief in personhood from conception since only persons can sin, end quote. Scripture clearly points to the continuity of personhood from conception through adulthood. In light of multiple biblical injunctions to defend and protect the weak, Christians in particular should observe that society at large consistently affirms the honor due those who voluntarily sacrifice for others. Indeed, this is one of the chief reasons in the history of Christianity that the life and teachings of Jesus and his followers have been so attractive to the unbelieving world. As Christ said, quote, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Unquote. John 15, verse 13. And technological advances in the medical arena have afforded ample opportunities for gifts of sacrifice, such as organ donation, for example. However, society, scientific enterprise, and the medical industry are already making that choice. That embryos, the youngest, most defenseless humans, should be sacrificed on our behalf. While new scientific discoveries are announced daily, the Word of God does not change. Therefore, science should be pursued with humility, not hubris. Christians especially should be given pause, realizing that the timeless truths of Scripture are not subject to the philosophies of mankind. There is much cause to humbly pursue conservative methods which preserve life, especially when the subjects of our inquiries, human embryos, 
will be destroyed. Sacrificial love, the supreme Christian ethic, insists that we proceed with caution. As theologian Oliver O'Donovan noted decades ago, quote, the practice of producing embryos by IVF with the intention of exploiting their special status for use in research is the clearest possible demonstration of the principle that when we start making human beings, we necessarily stop loving them. That that which is made rather than begotten becomes something that we have at our disposable, disposal, not someone with whom we can engage in brotherly fellowship. End quote. The very fact that IVF already creates embryos for the ostensibly justifiable goal of procreation further blurs the moral distinction between what some see as a merely precious commodity and what others rightly consider a gift from God, a child. The reasoning seems to follow that since embryos will eventually be destroyed after IVF procedures, there is no harm in using them for experimentation. However, Christians should resist subtly persuasive arguments that imply a morally neutral position exists in this dilemma. The only sure moral course is already delineated in Scripture. The deeper we scientifically peer into the workings of natural phenomena in the world God created, the more evidence we find of telos, design, purpose, and an overwhelming presence of order. As Joel Salatin remarks, quote, This is the problem with immoral science. Today, in our techno-sophisticated culture, we don't think God, through nature, has ordered anything. Everything we can manipulate is fair game to manipulate. End quote. If, instead of worshiping the creator of order, we manipulate that order for our own selfish purposes, we must suffer the inevitable consequences. We will reap what we sow. Is it wrong to blithely dismiss thoughtful moral concern for human embryos, persons created by God, in order to surge ahead into a genetically and biologically uncertain future, directed only by what is possible? Yes. Can justifiable concern for the alleviation of a suffering be balanced with morally principled technology constrained to limits well short of what is possible? Yes. Instead of being conformed to this world, Christians should recognize the authority of God over our physical and spiritual existence and thereby lead the public discussion that defines these moral limits. Thanks for joining us on We Contend, where we defend the truth of Christianity.